Hey, everybody, this episode of Finding Freedom on the Lions of Liberty podcast is brought to you by the Pauls to the Wall podcast. Pauls to the Wall is hosted by two libertarian brothers and longtime supporters and listeners of this show, Mike and Nick Paul. Each episode, they interview experts on a whole variety of different topics. Some of their past guests include Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Pete Quinones, Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, and of course, some of the Lions of Liberty, myself and a fellow uh, host here of Electric Liberty Land, Brian McWilliams, have both been on the podcast. We had an awesome time. Of course, outside of the political discussion that they do on the show, they also interview experts on a lot of other interesting topics, such as history, cars, jujitsu, music, barbecue, and so much more, guys. You definitely want to check out this podcast. Paul's to the Wall can be found on all major podcast platforms. Check it out today. Again, that is Paul's to the Wall, P-A-U-L-S, to the Wall. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And guys, I'm excited. I got a uh, really interesting episode for you all today. We're going to be talking to a local business owner, actually not far from where I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He's uh, I'm just south of the city. He's just to the east. A gym owner, a guy who has fought and struggled through COVID-19, through, through the lockdowns to keep his gym opened. And he has a crazy story to share about county grants and uh, the buying of compliance and all these different things. So really excited for you guys to meet my guest today and hear his story. Before we get to that, I just want to remind you all, if you haven't listened to the awesome podcast, Burning Daylight, with a friend of the show, Matt McKinley, he just does an amazing job. And you can check out his Maybe not his latest show. It might have been two shows ago. I think it was published on Monday. And, you know, Matt, he started this show to really tell the story, share the story of the working cowboy. And he brings on a guy by the name of Boots O'Neill. And it doesn't get any more cowboy than, uh, you know, the name people call you, your nickname, Boots. <laughs> that is some cowboy shit right there. Um, it's just a really authentic and raw show, and, and Matt does a fantastic job with it. So check that show out. Awesome podcast, Burning Daylight. Find it everywhere podcasts are found. And just want to get to today's show. Just one more note before I do that. Just want to let you guys know that all the listeners know how much that we appreciate you all listening to this podcast. And you know we've seen some great growth in the past few months, and we're excited about it. We really are. And if you want to like help us out and you want to like bump us up to the next level, the best way to do that is to really you know, join our Patreon and, uh, and support us. And we do our best. And honestly, I think we do as good a job, if not better, than any other podcast out there. Probably, for sure, any other libertarian podcast out there. Uh, the amount of stuff we give away, merchandise at different levels, and uh, the bonus content 
that, that we provide, although it is in a bit of a lull, or it was, I should say, as the Jenner Gamblers went on hiatus, but Brian McWilliams just started a new daily show, or a five-day-per-week show, I think it is. It's a quick five-minute hit every morning you get, and uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I told Brian jokingly, but almost seriously, that uh, I like it better than Electric Liberty Land. So join our uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash Liberty. Support us, support the show, help us grow, help to bump us up to uh, the next level of big-time libertarian podcasters. All right, let's get rolling into today's show. My guest today on Finding Freedom is Alexander Wallace. Uh, Alexander owns a gym in western Pennsylvania, uh, not too far from where I am here, uh, just south of Pittsburgh. He's over uh, east of Pittsburgh, I believe. And uh, I first heard of Alexander. A friend of mine sent me a, uh, a Facebook Live that he did uh, talking about what he'd been through with his gym and a grant that uh, you know he almost took from the county, but there were some qualifications and things that we'll get into uh, during this interview. But uh, the Facebook Live resonated with me because it resonates with my beliefs and how I feel about the lockdown and probably with how a lot of you all listening do as well. So I wanted to bring on Alexander and get a taste of really how this pandemic, how these lockdowns have affected a, uh, a real life small business owner. So Alexander, welcome to Finding Freedom. I'm happy to be here, man. Happy to uh, share my story and I'm sure it'll resonate with a lot of other small businesses. Absolutely, man. So as, as I said, I, I first saw your, your Facebook Live, your you know, passionate sharing, you know, really from the heart. And uh, you got into talking about, we can talk about this later in the show, talking about tans- taxation and inflation through uh, you know, printing money. Oh, yeah. Some things that are right up my alley. Yeah. You should have read the comments. It was warfare in the comments when I said stuff like that. I should go back and read the comments. I, I really didn't. I, I get so used to just avoiding the comment sections on stuff like that because for it's the toxic. Best. Better for your mental health that way. Yeah. But we're going to talk about all that stuff. But first, to get some background on you, if you could just kind of talk about, you know, what motivated you to become a gym owner in the first place? Yeah, man. So it's uh, it's kind of a strange, strange story. So I I had no intentions. Let me Let me start back. At the very beginning, I always played sports. I was always interested in sports. I liked to lift weights. I always liked the physical nature of, of anything, man, whether it was hiking. I wanted to see how fast I could hike, biking. I wanted to see how fast I could bike. And then naturally, I gravitated towards sports. Um, I had no intentions of ever going to college. Uh, I thought the military would be a good blend of, well, I'm glad I didn't go. But anyway, I thought at the time it would be a good blend of you know, merging what I liked physically with having some sort of challenge and goal to work towards. Um, But I actually had a pretty good scholarship to go to Duquesne University, ironically, not for sports. Um, It was for for education, for academics. I went, I got a degree in math. I have a minor in economics. I had a professor that was really hard up on me actually pursuing an advanced degree in economics, but I knew I wanted to start a business. So basically what I did is I found out what I was good at, what I like to do, and what I can make money doing. And where all of those circles intersected was gyms. It was it actually started out as personal training. So my business was contracted out from other gyms in the area. Um, and then from there, it got to the point where I was paying so much rent and I had employees and different places that I was like, all right, you know what? I'm taking the plunge. So I actually opened my own first facility. And right after the COVID pandemic, 
I bought, I bought one of the facilities I was actually fired from. So now here we are two gyms later and nine employees and I couldn't be happier, man. So, so you actually bought another gym just within this past year. Yes, sir. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a competitor of mine and it, it came up for sale. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately I, you know, I want to beat, I want to beat everybody. That's part of being a small business owner. That's part of being the barbarian and you want to, you want to conquer, but I feel bad how it happened. Dude. Like I'd rather beat somebody with fair ground. I just had more capital saved than he did. So he ran out of, he ran out of money before we ran out of uh, COVID lockdown. So, but I was in a good position to buy it. And you know, these employees needed jobs and these members needed a place to go. So I bought it and I revamped it and I think we're doing well. So yeah, you uh, kind of looked at and a lot of times it's natural in business when you have, um, obstacles when you have, you know, constraints on businesses, some are going to go under. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of this stuff could have been avoided, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking advantage and seeking opportunity when someone else, you know, so someone else, uh, you know, falls to the, uh, the obstacles that have been put in the way. Yeah. So kudos to you for, you know, turning this into an opportunity, um, to kind of turn back before that, when the pandemic first hit, yeah. And so this is, I mean, a year ago, a little over a year ago, and everything's shutting down and Governor Tom Wolf is, uh, you know, basically telling everyone to shelter in place. All Every, every gym that I know of was shut down, at least. Did you, yeah. during that first wave, you shut down as well? So, yeah, man, believe it or not, as odd as this sounds, I stayed open until the very last second. I think it was like 8 a.m. on March, whatever, they were going to start enforcing but the reason I shut down, uh, honestly, is because my business was like I didn't have the the volume to support my staff, if that makes sense. So people were just afraid. And it got to the point where I was like, all right, look, we don't have the revenue that we did mm-hmm. you know, a month ago. So we could either shut down, do what seemed reasonable at the time, three weeks to flatten the curve, let the hospitals not get overwhelmed. Hopefully people feel more comfortable. We come back business as usual. So yeah, that first time I did shut down um, for two reasons. Number one, it seemed like the reasonable thing to do when the data was uh, wrong. Let's call it what it is. When the data was wrong, it seemed like the reasonable thing to do. But in addition to that, people were regulating themselves in a way that they were staying away from other people. So it got to the point where it didn't make sense. It wasn't feasible for me to stay open just to stay open. It would have been you know, great to just, I guess, stick it to the man. But in terms of dollars and cents, it just didn't make sense at that point to stay open. Yeah, nobody was doing anything during that first wave. Exactly. Because just just like you said, everybody believed what was being said because it, it kind of made sense. You know, rationally, hospitals could get overwhelmed. You know, let's kind of sit back. Everyone, you know, let's kind of keep your distance for three weeks. And uh, then when that's done, we'll kind of go back to normal, which of course was a, was a huge fat lie. Right. And uh, a year later, we're still, you know, facing a lot of the same restrictions. Yes. So uh, to get like to the topic of the, the article and the Facebook live and all that stuff around the, uh, the grant that I guess was Westmoreland County, right. That, that offered it to you. Can you yep. talk about how that, how that came about and uh, talk through what actually happened there. Yeah, man. So basically, there was a bunch of different grants that were being thrown around uh, due to the COVID-19, you know, pandemic or lockdown, let's call it the the lockdown. Um, There was a lot of grants being thrown around. I qualified. So I was in an area and I was in an industry that was heavily impacted by the governor's mandates to shut down. So I qualified for this grant through the county. Um, The county then 
granted me, I forget what it was. It was like five grand or something, nothing crazy, but not insignificant. I mean, I definitely use that five grand, but I'm reading through the countless pages that you have to read through that many probably don't reading through the countless pages before I get to the signature line. And I get to one particular entry that said, in order to receive this grant, you will comply with all future mandates. And I read that and I called up the county. I said, hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable signing this paperwork. Um, I would need some clarification on some things. They're like, oh, no, don't worry about it. We're going to have the lawyer call you for the county. So this lady, I don't know who it is. She called me up. She's like, hey, uh, I heard you had some questions about the the, uh, the agreement, the contract. I said, yeah, it says that I have to comply with all future mandates. She's like, oh, that, yeah, that's right. You have to. I said, oh, I thought this grant was to help small businesses that were hurt during the first lockdown, not to buy compliance for all subsequent lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Well, needless to say, uh, she didn't like that. So she was like, well, you know, if you take this grant, we're going to keep our eyes on you and make sure you're closed. I was like, I don't want the grant. You can take the grant back. She's like, well, somebody else will get it. I was like, I know. Well, one of your competitors might get it. I was like, I, I get it, but I'm not closing no matter what. And you can take this grant and do whatever you want with it. And that's when I went on and I went on the Facebook page and on my personal Facebook page. And I just put out a video from, you know, it was an emotional, it was a raw video, man. I was, I was pissed. I'll be honest with you, but it kind of went what we call locally viral, I guess. And, yeah. At that point in time, was your gym open? Yeah, it was open. Yeah, we were open at that point. Because that uh, was what, December, right? Yes. Yep, it was December right before. I'm glad I rejected it, man. It was December right before or right during that that uh, next lockdown. Mm-hmm. Like right around that same time. Which we're just coming out of now, kind of, I guess. Yeah. I'm not even sure for lockdown. I'm not, I don't even keep track of what the standards are anymore. I just try to live as close to normal as I can. For sure. Um, after that happened, um, talk about the because uh, there was an article in the trip. I guess that that was before uh, before you did the the Facebook Live, and the, the trip yeah. is the local paper Tribune Review, yeah. one of only two really big time papers in, uh, yeah. in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, so honestly, what happened there? Yeah, I wanted to keep it quiet. I didn't want like to be like, oh, we're staying open no matter. I just wanted to run my business, put out a great product. But then the Trib actually, you know, put it on blast. I guess somebody from the Westmoreland County Economic Development Department, I don't know, called up the Tribune Review and said, hey, like this Wallace guy isn't closing and we took or we took his grant away or something like that. So the first version of the Tribune Review article about me basically said that Wallace Training Systems had his grant taken back, redacted Mm -hmm. for failure to comply with CDC guidelines. Alex Wallace was unavailable for comment. And lo and behold, I was unavailable for comment. So what I did is I actually found the editor. I found the person who wrote the article and I called him. Literally, as soon as that article was published, I probably had 50 people send me this article. I called him up. I said, hey, I don't want to use his name. We'll just say his name was Rich. I said, hey, Rich, man, I heard uh, you wrote an article about a, a gym in Delmont, Alex Wallace, uh, Wallace Training Systems. He said, yeah, yeah. He's like, I heard I was unavailable for comment. He's like, well, you know, I tried to call. Well, Rich, I'm available for comments now. He's like, well, I'm driving. I said, well, then pull over. So he pulled over and I gave him my comments. I was like, look, Rich, let's be, let's, let's be factually accurate here. Let's use the correct language here. That grant was not taken back. That grant was rejected. I told them I didn't want it. Second off, that has nothing to do with the CDC. 
It has nothing even to do with coronavirus. It has, the, it has to do with the fact that I'm not going to comply with certain mandates if I find them to be unjust. You're not going to buy my compliance. Take the money, give it to somebody else who's willing to roll over and die. It's not going to be me, Rich. So basically, to be fair, he did go in and he did actually change the article back to what it was and uh, uh, what it currently is. That article that you see now is actually the edited version. So credit to the, the writer. He actually did go back and edit that, that article. Uh, it's way better than the first version. That's, that's so crazy. I mean, it's, it's not really crazy. It's, it's uh, not surprising that they would leak it, you know, from the county. But you would think that you think you were one of the few people that actually turned down like the, the grant itself or oh, oh, why do you think you were targeted? I, I honestly think, um, and again, man, like I'm not here to drag anybody through the mud at all, but there was a lot of people that accepted those grants and then stayed open anyway. Mm-hmm. that's what really pissed me off. That's when I really went out and I made it like, I mean, I had to make a statement, dude. I basically had to go out and I had to tell, you know, the people in my community where their money's going. If there, there's certain businesses that were getting paid twice. They were getting paid once for your membership or your services. And then once again, through government coercion in the form of this grant, like, let's make no mistake. This grant mm-hmm. is either, and, and we can get into that, but I basically tried to elucidate where this money is coming from. It's not this pie in the sky money. It's your money. So what I'm right. saying is to my constituent, to my, to my members, to the people in my community, that that money that I rejected was your money. I want your money, but I want to do it through a, a mutually beneficial exchange. I don't want to enter a men- mutually beneficial exchange and then coerce you and take money out of your back pocket. So I'm getting paid twice. That's another thing that made me mad because I do believe I am one of the few businesses to reject that grant, but I'm not one of the few businesses to stay open. All right, guys, taking a quick break here. Last week, I talked to you about uh, Tyler Colford and his new song, also known as Crypto Man, and uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called First World Problems. Basically, what it's doing is it's talking about different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things. It's really, really interesting track. The video dropped this past week. It is amazing to actually the taxation is death mug that we sell in the Lions of Liberty store, lionsofliberty.store. You can pick yours up today. Makes the debut in the video. Going to link to the video on the show notes page. But please, please on top of that, of course, like the video, share the video. Please go wherever you listen to your music, Shopify, iHeartRadio, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man. And please like this song, share with your friends. And it's just an awesome song, guys. So I got a clip for you. Check it out. And you said during your uh, your live video that people came up to you and said, Alex, you know, why not just take the grant? You can stay open on the side, kind of low key, which, as you just said, a lot of businesses did. Yes. And I mean, you put that in such a good way. I mean, 
not only are they, you know, taking money from the taxpayer, but they're putting up this uh, this illusion, this false front that they're not actually getting paid twice when they are. They are. <laughs> That's the way you put that. Yeah, it's true, man. And that's, I mean, it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of where government money comes from. You know what I mean? And that's what the big part in my video that created the most controversy, the video in my response to the Tribune Review article about me is explaining where this money comes from. It's not, it's, it's your money, right? It's either through the printing press. So it's devaluing your money in the form of, you know, quantitative easing or, or um, just printing more dollars, right? It right. can be in the form of taxation. Again, it's your money, right? Or it can be in the form of debt spending, which again is your kid's money, which is even worse. So it's one of those things where it's like people think like, oh, I'll just take the money and stay open. Uh, I don't think so, man, because I'm taking your money twice. Does that make sense? Oh, that absolutely makes sense. And even so, the money probably somewhat at least came from or was able to be budgeted because, you know, that first, whatever the first stimulus was that Trump passed, which I think was just like a trillion or something yeah. ridiculous like that. Um, but yeah, so a lot of that was earmarked, I think, for counties and, you know, localities, things like that, yeah. which is probably where that money was coming from, which, yeah, you, I mean, hit the nail on the head. It's sure, it could come from taxpayer money, but more likely it's just a printing press, which right. at the end of the day, is talk. I mean, the end of the day is creates inflation, right. um, expands the money supply, which you know money's a commodity, so you create more of it, it's going to become worth less. Yes, which is just another form of taxation and impacts the uh, the poorer and the more vulnerable people the most who are living you know paycheck to paycheck and don't have any room to yeah. uh, you know be flexible with their money. Absolutely, it's it's hurting, it's squeezing the lower and the working class more than anybody when you do something mm -hmm. like that. People don't understand that with the best of intentions. Oh, you got 1400 bucks. Some people got 1400 bucks or however much it is. I don't even know. Um, but that's, that's so short sighted, man. It's like crazy to me how people don't realize that if you're like the people that have a ton of money and they can invest it and ride the inflationary stock market up, right? Those are the wealthy people that it doesn't matter. But these, like you said, the paycheck to paycheck guys, some of the guys that work for me, right? This is hurting them the worst. And it's, it's just, it's really perverted and twisted to see. And then we're doing it in the guise of helping people. It's insane. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask you, you know, your political beliefs or anything, but how did you first, you know, cause a lot of people don't connect the dots on that, on, you know, how inflation and deficit spending is really a, a tax on future generations and also through inflation. How did you learn about that? Do you remember, is that something that just came sort of intuitively to you or is that? Honestly, man, it, it, it's kind of a, if I got one thing from college, um, which I would say was to get, it was to learn a bunch of different opinions on things. And then to recognize that everybody is entitled to an opinion, but some people's opinions are just better. You know what I mean? They're more thought out. They're more researched. They're more studied. And I, I was fortunate enough to actually have a very good economics professor several of them, but one in particular that stood out. I really didn't appreciate him until I actually started listening to his podcast recently, and that's Anthony Davies at Duquesne University. He has a yeah, podcast yeah. called Words and Numbers, which is absolutely fantastic. But I actually went into college as a big government Democrat, right? That was just how I felt. I was like, oh, yeah, we can do this. The government should do this. The government should do that. But then when you recognize just how inefficient it is, not to mention how 
and this is more of a political philosophy thing, how each one of these things that must be implemented by the government is implemented by force. It just changed my perspective quite a bit. And I don't think that I would have come to that on my own, right? An Anthony Davies, Professor Davies, Dr. Davies basically oriented me in that direction. And then I just ran with it, man. It's a passion of mine. Like I do read Thomas Sowell. You know what I mean? I read all of his stuff. I do listen to economics podcasts. I still read the Wall Street Journal. Like these things that this professor got me into, he probably doesn't even remember me, to be honest. But like he had such an impact on my life and my political beliefs that it was just I mean, it was it was incredible. So no, nah, man, it didn't come intuitively, I don't think, but it came from great a great professor as well as a lot of personal research. Yeah, that's I mean, that's super rare in uh, you know, the university or the college setting to find an economics professor who approaches economics that way. You know, so many are, you know, more of the uh, big government spending sort of supporting stimulus packages and, and spending our way out of everything. Sort yeah. of like the, the broken window fallacy, familiar with that. Like uh, just God. need to stimulate the economy. We just need to uh, break some stuff yeah. like the break the windows. Right. Yeah. Um, so kind of turning back to your business here, you're, you're expanding um, going forward. What kind of plans do you have? Where do you see yourself, your business, your gyms, uh, looking ahead, you know, five, five, ten years. Honestly, man, I I just want to keep putting out a great product and keep building the team. That's what I think of. I just I I really have a passion for creating jobs. As weird as that sounds, it's cool to me when I can create a job and I'm no and I know that that person is living a better life because of the job that I can create. And to me, it's awesome to be able to create a job that's that's centered around getting people healthy and happy and feeling good about themselves. Right. So mm -hmm. to me, it's like where I see it in five or 10 years, I see us continuing to grow, but I see us continuing to improve this community, continuing to provide good paying jobs. And hopefully we can do that for years and years to come. Will I always be in fitness? I don't know, man, to be honest, I have no idea. I know I'll always be in business in some capacity. I think entrepreneurship's in my blood. I think a lot of people kind of like, glorify that i think there's a it's a blessing and a curse honestly um it's a blessing and a curse for entrepreneurship if anybody's really an entrepreneur if it's in their blood they know that they know it's a blessing and a curse so i know i'll always be involved in business i don't know how long i'll be involved in fitness but i do think we're doing positive things in the community and i hope i hope this gym whether i'm the owner of it or somebody else does that for years and years to come so you were just saying that you think, you know, entrepreneurship is a blessing and a curse. Do you think it's something, because there's kind of a debate on this, is entrepreneurship something that it's either in your blood and, you know, that's the way you have to be, or do you think it can be sort of learned and you can sort of grow into becoming an entrepreneur? I don't know, man, because I, you know, I'd love to say, you know, the bleeding heart liberal in me that still exists deep down in there wants to say, oh, anybody can do anything. You know, you know, you but no, there's, you have a genetic proclivity to certain things, right? I think an entrepreneur is somebody that has a high tolerance for risk, right? They're open to new experiences, open to new things. It's a calculated risk, but I bought a gym in the midst of a pandemic, right? That's not normal guy stuff. And I understand that, right? There's certain, you have to have a certain orientation towards behaviors that lend itself to entrepreneurship. You know what I mean? It's kind of like the corporate life cycle. Where you're at as an entrepreneur, the skill set that you have might be great for, for a corporation that's existed for a very long time, but that might not be the same skill set and personality traits that are necessary for a corporation that's just getting started. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think like the visionary, the entrepreneur is great in that startup. But I do think like the people that are more level level headed, I use that term loosely, but people that are less risk tolerant, they're better off in a corporation that's been around for a while. And that's how that corporation will continue to exist. So I'd like to say that that's a long winded explanation for I'd like to say that anybody can be an entrepreneur and anybody can, but not everybody can do it comfortably and not everybody can do it well. So I do think there are certain genetic traits, particularly centered around your personality and honestly, maybe even a certain level of intelligence, not like specifically IQ, but specific things like almost mm -hmm. smarts, if you will, that I think you're born with that lends itself to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think I think I definitely agree with I don't think it's necessarily black and white, but I, I definitely agree with your points. I do think that, you know, the public schooling system that we have sort of steers people away from entrepreneurship because you're just kind of taught to, you know, the bell rings, go to your next class, the bell rings, you're free to go yeah. home. Um, it's sort of this, you know, regimented factory worker type thing, which kind of goes right into how you need to behave to be in corporate America. So right. I, I, I toe the line on both. I'm still in corporate America and I'm an entrepreneur and uh, which it's kind of like uh, it's tough because I'm able to be comfortable enough being in my corporate job that, you know, it's kind of takes away from the amount of time I need to put into re really um, scaling a, a lot yeah. of the side hustles. But so it's, it's funny though. And I, you can obviously cut this out if it's, if it's ridiculous, but yeah, there's, sure. I, so I have a lot of different, the cool thing about my one gym is it's all small group training, personal training, and sports performance. And it, and it is an expensive product. I'll just say it for what it is. It's not, I don't think it's overvalued. I think it matches the value that we create for our clients. But the people that come down there have expendable income. They're intelligent. They have good jobs. They're, they're you know what I mean? They've just put themselves in a position where they have enough expendable income to pay for a one-on-one -on -one personal training trainer or small group training mm -hmm. consistently two or three times a week. So the way it was explained to me is, um, and this lends itself to your point, he said, when you enter corporate America, and you can even apply this to, to high school, think of yourself as a dog that used to have balls, and then they get cut off. And you know they're supposed to be there, but instead of licking your balls, you're just licking a deflated sack. That's what, that's what a buddy of mine who actually works out down in my gym explained it to me. And I think it lends itself to what you're saying. You're right. The, the school system is sit down, shut up, learn this, take the test, bell rings, go to the next thing. But what if a kid has a creative answer to something? Well, then it's wrong. What if a kid can pay attention to he, his mind's all over the place? So it might not lend itself to school, but it's great for small business, right? You got to look at the customer, make sure he's happy. Look at your employees, make sure he's happy. Look at the finances, being able to bounce back and forth between a lot of different things in school and in corporate America might be seen as, oh, that guy's terrible. He, he needs medication, put him on Ritalin. Whereas in entrepreneurship, it's like, no, this guy's great. He's, he's grown a small business. He's a, he's at least a one person entrepreneur. Hopefully he can t continue to grow it. Yeah. I, I don't know if this, if this is true or not, but I know that a lot of or several that I've heard of famous, you know, businessmen, famous entrepreneurs, I think like uh, maybe even Warren Buffett, I might be wrong on that. But, you know, they're like C students or at least B students. Right. And uh, it's just because it's, it's just like you're talking about. You know, they probably drove their teachers nuts, bouncing around, thinking different things, you know, asking questions, being critical. That's just not what the system's made to do. Right. But I, we got off on a tangent there, but that's yeah. fine. That's what happens. <laughs> but uh, before I let you go, Alex, uh, I just want to give you a chance. You know, could be people from Pittsburgh watching, could be people um, right in your neighborhood listening to this or watching it. So 
Um, let people know how to find you, how to find your gym, and how to uh, get in shape. Yeah, for sure, man. So you can find us on Facebook. You can look up Wallace Training Systems. That is our small group training, personal training studio. You can look up Wallace Fitness Center. That's our 7,000-square-foot open gym. If you look up Wallace Fitness in some capacity, we have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, Instagram. We're everywhere where everybody's eyeballs are, basically. If there's a social media account, Wallace Fitness is on there. If anybody's interested in basically getting in shape, we can help you in some capacity. I feel confident in that. I, I meant to ask you, um, did you pivot at all when you know people were afraid to leave their house and go to gyms, which many still are, pivot to any virtual training, stuff like that? Yeah, we did. We did some uh, virtual consultation. I'll be honest, man, that's not I, – I do need to get better at that. Um, we, we grew a little bit of a YouTube channel. It's still growing. It's not like – anything special, but, but it's getting there. So we oriented ourselves in that way, but I get my energy from being around people. If that makes sense. Like where I'm best at my job is when I'm with the person and we're interacting in a way that can only be done in person. I'm not saying, I'm saying I haven't built the appropriate skill set yet to exist in the Skype world. Um, I'm, I'm working on it and we certainly did some of that during the pandemic but not as much as I know I probably could have as much as I should have. And as much as I should be doing in the future, lest anything crazy like this ever happen again. Yeah. Well, let's, let's pray that it does not, although we're not out of this one yet, but yeah. uh, Alex, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show, being so open and uh, keep hammering, keep, uh, keep going at it and taking risks. Thanks, John. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on finding freedom. Another awesome guest and hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks. Or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>